look forward to retirement and avoid the pitfalls. Keep listening for ways to maximize your retirement income. More Than Money with the Popowich Carmelli Advisory Group, CIBC Woodgundy, on News Talk 770. Lifestyle matters. It's more than money. I'm Faisal Carmelli, my co-host here, Dave Popovich. How you doing, buddy? I'm great, Faisal. How about you? Good. We've got a great show today. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk. Uh, we're going to talk to one of Canada's best-known portfolio managers about his strategy for successful stock selection. What a great year he has had. I'm looking forward to uh, to seeing what his success has been all about. Let's talk about COVID, and it's not specific to COVID, but there's an exo- there's a mental exhaustion that we're hearing about yeah. now. We'll, in, u- we'll in use the word pandemic because it's not just the the virus itself; True. it's the it's the ramification yeah. of the virus. Yeah. Um, many people are not experiencing the virus, but they're re- they're experiencing the pandemic. Yeah, that's yeah, actually an excellent distinction for sure, and the exhaustion from that. Oh. Now this happens at other times, but what we're seeing is it's amplified, right? And it's maybe a little bit more complicated now because if you're at the towards the tail end of your career, um, or two thirds of the way through the career, you, you could be in a position where you're you're getting mentally exhausted, but you may not quite be ready to retire. I can't look for another job right now, maybe because of what's going on in the environment. Yeah, and that's that's interesting. You you bring that up because you know we we're we're in a position where people call us up and say, "Can I retire?" Right. So we get anecdotal evidence, right. and then. You take it a couple steps further, and I'm I'm on this retirement chat on Facebook where um, there's thousands amongst thousands of, of uh, attendees to this chat group all across North America. So it's not an Alberta thing or a Calgary thing. This is a North American right. uh, dialogue, and people are tired, exhausted, and in fear of if they can retire. Right. And they don't know. So you're, they're literally asking everybody else in the group, okay, look, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. What do I have to do to get prepared for retirement? Mm-hmm. So you're getting advice from people who are feeling the exact same thing you're feeling. Right. Right. It's very interesting right. being part of this, this chat group and how and where they get their information from. This is why one thing that we do on this show is try to educate and inform people so that they've got some sort of process mm-hmm. they can go through that, that will help them in these situations. And I think with the ongoing fear, the ongoing um, stress levels that are happening in, um, it, it, during this pandemic, people are really considering and scared of yeah. going to retirement. Yeah. Yes. So, so what do we do? More, more than normal. Right, more yeah. than normal. Oh yeah. Um, so, how do we take that fear out? So, first of all, let me let me tell you wh- why that where that fear comes from because there's there's a very real reason why when you go through this transition, right, you're 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 quaking in your boots a little bit, and mm-hmm. that's because if you think about anybody that's familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of needs will know that that pyramid at the very base of the pyramid is feeding yourself and feeding the family. Okay, let's assume that we're not there. That next level is security. Mm-hmm. And, and so if you think about leaving the job, something you perhaps have done for a very long time, yeah. leaving the paycheck behind, right? If you don't have a defined benefit plan, right? Then there's this, this gap, this income uh, fear of losing that. So that security, that base of security has been shaken. Yeah. That's what you're going. That's what you will experience. If you're in a, if you're in a couple, probably one of the two of you, if not both of you, will experience this. And so think about that, right? If, if I know that's taking place and what do I need to do? I need to work backwards to figure out how to stabilize that base of the pyramid again mm-hmm. to allow me to enjoy the experience of retirement. And so the process I, you have to go through is, is, number one, I think you've got to be honest about whether or not you, you're done. 
So are you done? And listen, being done doesn't mean you're done forever. Yeah. It could be a temporary step, right? Yeah. So you could just say, I'm... I'm we, done we, for now. Yeah, we do a lot. And you may go back later. That's Pull okay. Mark Michael Jordan. <laughs> you know, That's right. Leave and then come yeah. back. Yeah, just come back with number 23. Don't yeah. try to change your okay. number. So, <laughs> so, so I, I think that's a very important piece is because you could be done for now and then come and do something different. But but address now. Yeah, and I, I think this is, this is where I, I wish our industry, media, and so forth would just change the, the word from retirement right. to financial independence. Fair. I, think, I, I think financial independence gives you the choice to do what you want to do. Mm-hmm. Right? And I've always said retirement may be chosen upon you for whatever reason, health, yep. loss of job, sure. whatever. Yep. But financial independence puts the power in your hands. Okay. So how do we figure that out? Because you're right. Right? And establish and, and build that base again. Yeah. Number one, be realistic. Are you done for now? Are, is this a trend? You've got to make the decision. The pressure leading up to the decision is very, very difficult. Yeah. Make the decision. You'll have a pressure release right there. Yeah. Okay? How do you make that decision? You probably should do some analysis first. Oh, absolutely. Okay? So get control by establishing either on your own or with your partner. What is lifestyle going to look like for the next little while? So what are you going to do? Yeah. There's going to be some cost attached to whatever you decide there. Correct. Let's be realistic about what that is. And I don't mean, again, just feeding the family. What's the experience that you're going to have? Yeah. Put some pen to paper. Take a little bit of time. Figure that out. Yeah. Right? And then you need to meet with somebody who's got some experience in this area, a you know, certified financial planner. Well, this is where a <laughs> retirement transition specialist comes into play. Yeah. Because, yes, I'm a certified financial planner. There's a whole bunch of them out there. There are a whole bunch of advisors out there. Yeah. But this is where you need a specialist that right. comes on board. And there's for the specialists that are out there, this is, a, this is the reason why they do what they do. Yeah. And so going to a specialist... And, and understanding your options, yep. understanding what the numbers may look like, right? right? And, and how does this all work? Right. Financially first. Just get, get the financials so you're, you're independent financially. Then you can get mentally prepared to do it or not. Yeah, then the step. But, but there's the, the step ahead of the financials is you've got to think about what, what are you transitioning to, right? I can't stress this enough. We've talked about this for a decade, yeah. right? But we see it happen all the time where it's, I'm done, I'm leaving this. That's not enough. Yeah. I'm leaving this to go where? Yeah. Okay, and it can change. The, the destination can change, but you have to go somewhere, Yeah. right? Because there's a big gap you and have to And that's a very scary part there, Dave. Right. When, when, when we say you have to know what you're retiring to, not right. only what you're retiring from, right. You may not know what you're retiring to. You just know you want to leave what you're what you're leaving. Right. And so, having that that sense of security, right, the financial and emotional security that you're ready to move on to whatever challenge yeah. or whatever you want to lead with yeah. in your future, at least you know you're prepared. Right. Right. right? And it's going to change. I mean, th- this is the important thing. You can't make a decision of what you're going to do for the rest of your life if you're 60 years old. Yeah. It's going to change for sure. So, so don't put that kind of pressure on yourself, right? Just put the, just get to the retirement. So what are you going to do? We always talk about the first two years. Yeah. It's the honeymoon period. Honeymoon phase of retirement. Right. Absolutely. Now, lots of things happen in the honeymoon. Yeah. That's not where I want to live, or I don't want to travel there all the time, or I can't golf every day, or I really do enjoy some aspects of my job, or I want to work a little bit, and I'm going to go back and do this. There's a whole bunch of things. Yeah, you're figuring it out. That's exactly right. So here's the step, right? We know what we're leaving. I'm exhausted. I've got to make this decision. Where are you going? For the next two years, mm-hmm. where are you going to go? 
Great. What's it going to cost to go there? Right? And I don't mean physical place, just to do have the experience you want. Yeah. Okay? Put some numbers to that. Okay? Do your planning. Build that security, uh, that, that mental security, emotional security, and ultimately that's driven by do the financial numbers work. Yeah. And then it's going to evolve. Right? It, it will. It'll, It'll change, change every 24 months. In our experience, all the time, retiring hundreds of times with our clients, I can tell you that your vision of what you want to do in retirement will change every 24 months, every two years. It, yeah. we, the clients come back to us and say, uh, I want to tweak it, or something big's changed in my life, or and I, now I want to do yeah. the following. And yeah. that, that adjusts the numbers. So, so if you're exhausted and you're facing this, take a step back. Have a glass of wine with your spouse. Sit down, figure out where the destination is. What does it look like for the next two years? Then connect with a professional that can help you uh, reaffirm that that base, that your security yeah. that is there and that you can take that step. This is a very vulnerable stage in life and requires a specialist to help you along the way. So I, I definitely say that, you know, don't just pick anybody to help you through this. Make yeah. sure you pick the right team. And I use the word team as importance. Yeah. Because there's financial, there's emotional side of things that are that can help you through this, that do this for a living. Yeah, yeah. Don't accept we do that too. We talk about it all the time. All the right? time. It's this is not a special. Uh, this is not a, a a general practitioner. We do that too. That's not good enough. This is the rest of your life. Yeah, yeah. Don't don't accept that at all. And, and, and so when you're going through this process, there are steps you need to take. Why don't we talk about uh, to our listeners that they have the opportunity to listen to our process? Yeah, and listen. Um, I think this is an important time to throw it in this this we're just educating about what we think those steps are to get you ready transitioning into and living through retirement right this is purely an educational process yeah. that we want to so if you're thinking about that join us there's no cost there's no risk there's no obligation on your part we just want to share with you how we think um, you do it effectively and we've seen it done effectively hundreds of times and that'll be on tuesday december 8th 7 p.m live online go to morethanmoneyradio.com to register Stick around after the break if you're interested in finding out about the secret sauce on how to pick stocks from Canada's best-known portfolio manager. You're on 770 CHQR and more than money. Welcome back. You're here with Dave and Faisal on 770 CHQR. We've got an election that's just taken place in the United States, and it, in fact, it's continuing on. We had a lot of requests, Faisal, for um, a repeat of a, a segment we did in late October that dealt with some of the election issues and how to position and pick stocks through that by David Fingold. And back by popular request, I want to play that segment again because people have asked for it. And this is a, a very interesting time because we're going through this pandemic. Pandemic on top Second, of it. third waves. Europe's taken off in their numbers. Right. Shutdown of the economy. How is the stock market going to survive all of this? Right. Right. So we want to have... Um, some of the smartest people on our show. We've been doing this for a couple weeks now. We're going to bring in another one on our show uh, to talk about how do you make money or where do you invest when it comes time to an election, the yeah. pandemic? What kind of processes should you put into your portfolio? Yeah, so we've got David Fingold joining us. He's a vice president and senior portfolio manager of Dynamic Funds. Uh, David, first of all, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me on. So there's this old saying that goes, you know, when we go through a recession or a pandemic or a crisis that the economy is terrible, except for the units of the economy that aren't. And I want to talk a little bit about that because it's, it speaks to, I think, uh, process and whatnot. But I, I would like to start the conversation, David, at the sort of at the beginning of the year. And I want to bring some context to to our listeners, to, you know, the average investor, because the, uh, you know, Volatility is the friend of people who understand the value of what they own, but it's definitely the enemy of 
those investors that don't know the value. And so I'd like to get your perspective on how you were positioned coming into the year this year, not knowing that we were going to have a pandemic. And then we can sort of walk through the year and some of the things you've done. And then ultimately, maybe in the next segment, we can address the election and how that's going to affect everybody's portfolio. So maybe just start at the beginning of the year. Give us a sense of of where you saw value, how you were positioning, and then what the impact of the pandemic was. Well, I'd say, first of all, at the beginning of the year, we were bullish. And there was every reason to be bullish uh, simply because you had a whole bunch of pent-up demand being created because a lot of investment decisions were put off in Europe because of Brexit. You had a lot of investment decisions put off because of the trade war with China, so companies didn't know if they should be building their next factory in Mexico or in the United States or, or in China or Thailand. So we're trying to get some resolution about tariffs and about trade, and it created a lot of pent-up demand. Uh, then bad things happened. And I think there's a lot of focus on the pandemic, but it's really only one of three things that happened. Uh, So yes, we had a pandemic with lockdowns and that caused industrial production to fall more than it has any time since the Great Depression. So obviously there uh, was a reaction to that that was necessary, which was temporarily to move away from uh, cyclical businesses because the economy was slowing and to be more defensive. Uh, for instance, to invest in healthcare, uh, these has a very uh, strong long-term record of outperformance plus has outperformed every bear market. But two other things uh, happened during March. You had a price war on oil between Saudi Arabia and Russia. And while energy isn't a lot of global market capitalization, it's a large part of the global economy. And uh, the banks have lent a lot of money to oil and gas companies. And then the third piece was that interest rates, I mean, started going to zero. In fact, in many parts of the world, they went negative, And that's negative for financial institutions. Our reaction was back away from anything exposed to energy, uh, back away from financial services because of the low-rate environment. But then, as you know, things bottomed at the end of March, the beginning of April. You know, the the obvious implication of the biggest reduction in industrial production, uh, you know, since the Great Depression is that actually the base of comparison is very, very easy, that any improvement in the economy would be showing strong growth. So, you know, we saw the Fed step and stimulate. We saw governments around the world step in and stimulate. Um, It was clearly the time to be optimistic because everybody else was pessimistic. So we bought high-quality cyclical businesses uh, while they were on on sale. Now, the stock market has since then uh, gone to a new record. Uh, In the last uh, 100 years, it's uh, only gone to a new record during a recession three times. And all those three times, the returns were above average over the next 12 months. Uh, the market is trading as if we're exiting a recession. Cyclicals are beating defensives. So we're really in the sweet spot uh, probably for 9 to 12 months here uh, because that time when you exit a recession is the best time to invest. David, let's talk about what changed through the pandemic and even now because was there was there some of the names in your portfolio? And let's talk about the, the U.S. side or even the global side of your portfolio. Were names changing rapidly through this like were you shifting around or were you were you already invested in some format that let you enjoy this entire run-up that you've seen in, in the performance of your of your funds i would say first of all that factually there have been a number of changes 
But I would also say that it's important to understand that I'm not really tracking it. I mean, we look at the portfolio every day and we say, you know, when we look at a company, is it fit for purpose? Is it a sound investment with the information we have? And then we're emotionless about this. So when people look at who the the most um, challenged businesses have been this year, you know, people call them the COVID losers. Those businesses include, for instance, office buildings, shopping malls, uh, airlines, cruise lines, uh, the retailers that could not make the transition to selling online. Those businesses did poorly this year, but they were also doing poorly last year and the year before. The trends that we have seen where people increasingly don't, sorry, use less of those goods and services, those trends have been placed for a long time. And because those were poor trends, we were never exposed to them. Uh, you know, and I will say that when we went shopping, some of the place, businesses we added to were the ones where we were very pleasantly surprised about their ability to adapt to this environment, that they were tested in, in fire, trial by fire, and uh, they were able to engage their clients however they needed to. If they couldn't visit their clients, could they sell remotely? If clients couldn't shop their store, could they ship to them via, you know, internet catalog retailing? And you notice with the surviving businesses, they were the ones that either led in those disciplines before or were able to adapt during. And and change comes. I mean, people like to talk about what went on this year is unprecedented. And, and, and I don't want to sound in any way unsen- insensitive to what happened this year, but, you know, we've had interest rates dive to incredibly low levels. Uh, you know, it's happened several times over the last 10 years, and interest rates were very, very low during the 1930s and 40s. We've had price wars on oil before. There was a, a price war between the same, the same thing between Saudi Arabia and Russia during the oil glut, you know, which bottomed, I want to say, in 1985 or 86. Uh, so, thing, you know, and as far as pandemics are concerned, I mean, we certainly, you know, can look at the history of what happened with the stock market during the Spanish flu, but we can also look at the Hong Kong flu. These things have happened before, as have wars. Uh, unfortunately, things happen uh, from time to time, and good businesses are going to be structured in such a way that when the world changes, they're structured to, uh, you know, to survive it. You know, what you look for, ideally, of course, is a business that not only survives when bad things happen, but it actually shows their strength and they yep. get stronger. That's right. And in that case, I draw attention to some of our software companies, which were natively cloud computing companies, because there was always a debate, should a business transition from on-premise software to cloud-hosted software? Now there's no debate, because a lockdown might stop you from getting to your own office, but the cloud keeps on going. Uh, so the, the argument for cloud computing has become much stronger, you know, having seen the adversity. And nobody's going to argue in favor of on-premise compute, computing ever in the, per, in the future. It's going to die faster than it was already dying. That's great. You know, we, we do have to go to commercial break. This is a good good segue to talk about coming after the break. We're going to talk about some some key things like the election and where do you invest if you're if you're a Biden fan or a Trump fan and stuff like that. But we're going to talk about how this type of structure, this type of discipline, mm-hmm. yep. actually can benefit you through your retirement. And we're going to have our our online webinar, One. and that'll be on Tuesday, December eighth, seven p.m. live online. Go to morethanmoneyradio.com to register.
Stick around after the break if you're interested in finding out about the secret sauce of how to pick stocks from Canada's best-known portfolio manager. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back. You're here with Dave and Faisal on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. We're joined by David Fingold, Vice President and Senior Portfolio Manager of Dynamic Funds. And we were talking, Faisal, before the break a little bit about, um, you know, how David was positioned coming into this, some of the changes that were made. How do you, you know, how do you take advantage of it, protect what, what areas should you be in? A lot of evidence-based investing, right, versus Correct. the emotional stuff Correct. that we often hear about when we're talking to people. How do you stay dispassionate or unemotional there's about it. emotional investing and there's also index investing right and a lot of people are saying the markets have not made money well david fingold has yeah we have yep how, how do you make money when uh, you know the markets haven't made money and so that's that's going to now lead us to you know in, well, a, let, in a couple weeks yeah the election we've got the election so you can't make money if one one person wins and the other one doesn't David, this election is so polarizing for people. Um, you know, the, again, the average investor, when we're talking to people, the, the just sheer amount of fear of, you know, whichever candidate they don't want to win, if they win, it is game over here. I would love for you to get your opinion as a portfolio manager about how you view what's coming here in the next two, uh, in the next two weeks. Well, as a generalization, we view elections as being relatively unimportant. Uh, and I know this is very difficult, especially for Canadians to understand, because we have a completely different system than the United States. Uh, the U.S. has a system that is really significantly full of checks and balances, and the president has very little power, and Congress has very little power. And there have actually been very few changes uh, to the country uh, since their uh, Declaration of Independence, and they, and they wrote the Constitution. The people get confused by this, but the reality is that the elected Senate, which took place around the year 1900, it used to be a Senate appointed by the state houses, was a pretty big change. And, you know, another pretty big change, uh, you know, was uh, the emancipation of the slaves. Um, but there really is, has not been a lot of change. Uh, and, there, you know, and I think that's why, you know, people like Warren Buffett, don't worry about politics. It doesn't really mean anything. And I happen to agree with them. I don't believe that anybody should be positioning their portfolio for an election because there's really no outcome that can dramatically change things. The strangest thing about this, of course, is that statistically the market does better when the Democrats are in power, uh, You know, which is one of the reasons why I'm just so confused about the people who are worried about Biden. Now, I don't uh, you know, happen to agree with Mr. Biden's policies, but that's irrelevant. My job is to be unemotional, and the statistics are it does Democrats are in power, and the market's done perfectly well with the Republicans in power, just not quite as much uh, a profit. You know, I think the, the other part of it is it's also important to understand when you make your investments, don't make politically levered investments. I mean, there are certain industries that are controversial, and you know, for example, I have, you know, again, my, my personal opinions about gun control don't matter, but everybody understands the Democrats are very much in favor of gun control, the Republicans very much against it. If there's a Democratic president, then people may rush out to buy guns. They certainly did when the Democrats were in power the last time, and when the yeah. Republicans are in power, nobody rushes out. Uh, to buy another gun. So that's a very politically exposed industry. So again, 
we're simply not participating in that industry for the simple reason that there's going to be another presidential election in four years. There's a congressional election every two years, every six years, potentially every seat in Congress and the Senate can turn over. And when you're talking about a politically volatile industry in terms of people's approval of that industry, I just figure it's not worth it because we make our money by picking good companies that can compound returns over time, which means we need to own them for multi-year periods to get those compound returns. So we'll just avoid the really, really politically sensitive industries. And they're very few. So let's take a look going forward now from the companies that you're seeing uh, and there might be a list that you're looking at that potentially could be the new the new companies in the portfolio. What are your expectations of of where things are headed for 2021? Well, we we expect. Look, first of all, uh, we're in a recession. That's you know a simple statement of fact. The National Bureau of Economic Research said so, and uh, their word is basically uh, the word of God on that matter. Nobody else is allowed to make that determination. They've said that it may well be the shortest recession ever, which means that it uh, may have ended August 31st or July 31st. Uh, if it ties the record, uh, you know, for the shortest ever, it ended September 30th. The shortest expansion ever is 12 months, which means that the economy is going to grow, even if we get the shortest expansion ever, well into the second half of next year. So when faced with a growing economy, we just we want to be invested in cyclical businesses where there's upside. So if you contrast what we were doing during uh, March and April and May, where the economy was slowing, and we had more of a focus on defensive issues, and you would have seen a much higher proportion of healthcare within our portfolio, uh, you know, and also maybe even technology businesses with uh, more resilient. Um, uh, with you know more resilient earnings, we're looking for more cyclical exposure here. So we'd like to benefit from increasing automobile production. We'd like to benefit from uh, uh, increasing um, construction, residential and non-residential. I mean, those would be examples of industries where you know we can see plenty of potential for them to improve. You know, and I can tell you right now, the average factory in the United States has never been older. The average automobile, the average home, the average appliance, the infrastructure has never been older. The uh, Bureau of Labor Statistics actually tracks this uh, by its depreciable life. Uh, so we want to take advantage of where the pent-up demand is. Uh, so the answer for 2021 is simply where the pent-up demand is in an increasing economy. Now, if the economy starts to slow in the second half of 2021, you know, we will deal with that then. We're not going to get indications for what the second half of 2021 is going to be like, you know, until five or six months from now. And we'll do what we have to do, just like we did what we had to do earlier this year. David, where do you see the opportunities in a global market? Because here in Canada, and let's even talk about here in Alberta, There's not a lot of optimism about our major industry of oil and gas here. And so many Albertans kind of just say the world's going to to hell because of that. There's a whole bunch of opportunities around the world. So where do you see them? And is there any geographical location that you say this is an opportunity for us to invest in? Generally, the world that way. Uh, so part of my view on Canada is obviously informed by the uh, pres- you know, the extreme presence of extractive industries in Canada. And, you know, they had their 10 years in the sun during the 2000s. And when Canada goes out of favor, we know from experience it goes out of favor for 
much longer periods of time when it's in favor. Uh, you know, we had a strong commodity cycle in the 1970s, and then the next strong commodity cycle was during the 2000s. When we look at the rest of the world, that kind of overhang doesn't really exist. Um, you know, we have, I mean, there are twice as many people living in countries that import commodities as export them. So it's actually very good for the global economy. The commodity prices are weaker than they were during the 2000s. We also have the ability to to, to benefit from the consumption patterns, uh, you know, th- th- that are kind of, well, really the opposite. I mean, to be blunt, nobody's going out there trying to use more energy. Everybody wants to save money on energy. So, for instance, uh, as you know, there's an increasing use of, uh, of electronics in cars. We even have electric cars and we have hybrid cars. You know, I don't think we have a semiconductor company left in Canada but we, you know, but the one of the fastest growing parts of the semiconductor industry is automobiles, and part of the reason why is electrification, which is all part of trying to use less energy. So, uh, you know, we're not spending time worrying about the market for hydrocarbons. We're just trying to think on emotionally about how we can make money. Uh, you know, and, and automobile production, you know, fell from a low of six or, to a low of six or seven million units, I think, during some point in the second quarter. And it can go to uh, 17 or 18 million units at peak a cycle, you know. And, and again, automotive is a very interesting opportunity for another view, from another viewpoint, which is we've seen this tremendous increase in household formation. People are moving out of the cities because they've seen that pandemic is a risk if you live in the cities, and that means potentially more automobiles per household. So it might be the biggest automobile. Uh, 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 you know, market in terms of the number of units we've ever seen. It's almost a global phenomenon where we see this de-urbanization. People are moving out to the countryside where the population density is lower. And, uh, you know, it, it just appears to be a much healthier uh, lifestyle. Certainly, you know, if you're only looking at it from a COVID point of view, the countries that did best have the lowest population density. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's is good for automotives. Um and it's also, you know, again, another area in the, the, that I just pointed to that I think is very good as well as housing. I mean, household formation has been held down for a very, very long time, and it's exploded and it's heading back to trend. And I think we're only building one and a half million homes. And, you know, we've built over 1.5 million single family homes with a smaller market. And I think you're going to find that the statistics, uh, you know, there's been so much urbanization globally, just the de-urbanization you know, you could see housing markets strong everywhere in the world. They're, cert- they're, they're certainly strong everywhere where we're looking in terms of the new home construction and home improvement, home repair. That's fantastic. And I think that's that's where the, the thing is that we have to remember is yes. emotionally make money. Unemotionally. Unemotionally, unemotionally make, make money. Yeah. Emotionally <laughs> lose money. Yeah. Unemotionally yeah. make Thank money. Thank you. Yeah, there we go. Thank you. <laughs> Let's be clear yeah, on that. Yeah. I think it's. Being unemotional here is really critical because part of the issue is that, let's say for the sake of argument, there's a vaccine tomorrow. We're still in an improving economy. We had a global recession. We're coming out of recession. Every time that happens, more cars are sold, more homes are sold, more people renovate, more people repair, more appliances are sold, et cetera. Could it be the biggest cycle ever because of de-urbanization if that continues? Sure, maybe not. But you've got the economy in your favor at this point. There we go. David, we're going to have to cut it there and go to commercial break. I want to thank you again for your time today and all of your input. You're welcome. Been joined by David Fingold, Vice President and Senior Portfolio Manager at Dynamic Funds. My friend, let's put all this together in a strategy that takes people all the way through retirement. Unemotionally make money 
and bulletproof your retirement. We're going to discuss that on Tuesday, December 8th, 7 p.m., live online. Go to morethanmoneyradio.com. That's morethanmoneyradio.com to register. Stick around after the break if you fear volatility. We're going to make it your friend. You're on 770 CHQR in More Than Money. Welcome back. You're here with Dave and Faisal on 770 CHQR in More Than Money. Let me set set up this segment, Faisal, with a statement that you and I talk about a lot. Okay. Okay. Volatility is the friend of investor who knows the value of what they own, <laughs> and it is the enemy of investors that don't know the value of what they own. Ah. So I want to I want to explore that statement. You're like Confucius or something. Yeah, might be. Maybe. Hey. Yeah. Could you imagine? I think more confused than Confucius, but sure. <laughs> Most of the keep time. Keep on going. Keep Most on of going. the time. You're on a roll, buddy. Yeah, keep that's going. right. I want to explore that because I think I think that that simple statement um, gives us many many areas of of insight. Now, what do you think is going to happen? We we've just talked to Peter about all the volatility that could uh, or the potential risks and uncertainty. Okay, that will lead to volatility. Absolutely. So I think that's about the only thing that we can say with some certainty is that over the next four months, so it's not just the November election, but yeah. beyond that. So let me give an analogy of, of volatility. People look at volatility as they look at it as a, as a roller coaster. Right. We always focus on the roller coaster when it goes down. Right. But a roller coaster has to go up before it goes down. Right. And you're going to go up and down and up and down. So volatility goes both ways. Good point. Volatility is up and volatility is down. Let's, right. let's set the tone right there. Right. It's going to happen. And I think if we have more and more uncertainty of maybe if Trump loses, will he leave office? Right. Maybe there's going to be a problem. This when Peter was talking about CIA coming in and what they're, like, this oh, is the a secret prob- service. Yeah, this is a problem. We were in Washington less than two years ago, listening to the former CIA director, former FBI director Bob Woodward, former ambassador, U.S. ambassador to Canada, all speak, and they all had the same concerns two years ago. Correct. Right? That he's not going to leave. And there was... If yeah. he loses. Right. And should this happen, get ready for uncertainty and volatility. So this volatility, in my opinion, is going all the way to February. Okay. Now, what we know is volatility is scary for most investors. Absolutely. Okay. Things are bouncing around. Yep. Because we know over the past couple of weeks, we've been having more and more conversations about people that want to go to cash. They want to make a timing bet. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So that that's a, that's how this is all relevant, right? It's it's we know there's volatility. You and I often talk about volatility as an opportunity. We know that that regular people, investors, see it as risk. As it's it's certainly fear. Correct. Right? Creates fear. So let's talk a little bit about how you navigate through a period of volatility. Okay. So the first part of what you just said in your quote: volatility is a friend. Well, it, it's a friend of investor who knows the value of what they own. Perfect. Let's stop right there. Okay. Okay. So it's no. It's a. I like volatility. I've always said it's <clears throat> it's always going to be Boxing Day shopping in high volatile times, because what I've been trained on, what I've been educated on, and what I've been focusing my entire structure and discipline on is understanding the value of something. So let me give you an example. Yeah. Put it in English. Okay. Let's say a 2020 BMW. Mm-hmm. I'm going to sell it for a dollar. Mm-hmm. What do you think will happen if I post that on my Facebook page? Well, do I get to buy it? Or are friends and family excluded? Everybody's included. Okay, I'm in line with everybody else. The lineup will probably go all the way to Edmonton. Yeah. Now, what if I started saying, okay, I'm going to change my price, and I'm going to sell it for $500,000? All right. I'm probably watching the golf tournament then. Perfect. No one's going to be in line. No. And I might even get you know some submissions of maybe I should... <laughs> 
takes a medication or <laughs> yeah, put on a jacket that goes on backwards <laughs> right. or something. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so right there, either I have a lineup all the way to Edmonton or nobody in line because everybody who's either in line or not in line understands one thing. The value of that BMW is whatever that value is, plus or minus 10% or 15%, right. but no one's going to buy it when it's overvalued. You know what we do? We do that all the time with everything in our lives. We don't buy stuff when it looks too Too expensive, expensive. except for what? Stock market. Hey, that company will will take 100 years to give me my money back in earnings. That's what a price-earnings ratio is. I'm going to go buy it. Right. When you don't understand value and you understand or you have the speculation of either fear of missing out, or speculation that that's the only place that you can see growth over the long term, you would give up a hundred years of money just to make your money back. Right, right. Remember tulips back in the day, sixteen hundreds. <laughs> you remember this? This this was the well, first. Well, I wasn't around, but I've read about it. Yeah, well, yeah. you sound like it was like yesterday. You remember that? Don't. Yesterday. Yeah, exactly. Sixteen hundreds. This is the first time it happened. Remember tulips got outrageously overvalued. Yeah, and then one day somebody decided. Well, paying that much money for a tulip doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. What happened? Collapse. Collapse. Tulips were just flowers again. So, so you're going to see volatility because people don't understand the true value of the company that they own. Mm-hmm. This is the problem, and I think, with the average investor. They're buying something. They have no idea what they're buying. And as a okay. money manager, right. my job is to look and say, this is the actual value of the company given where we are in the, in the economy. So why would I go and spend 100 times of your money, 100 years, sorry, of your, uh, of, to of get earnings. your of earnings? You'd just, pay 100 years worth of earnings. You'll never get to your retirement <laughs> that way. Unless I you know, live to 175. <laughs> and, and, yeah, exactly. And, and, and you, we are at point A right now. Right. Our clients, investors, have a point B in time. So I'm going to pick on you. 52 years of age, let's say you're going to retire at 70. So you've got 18 years of time frame. Why would I buy something that takes you 100 years to get your money back or 40 years, 30 years? Okay, so one one of the factors the markets can trade on is momentum, right? And what we're seeing in a market like this is there's a momentum trade taking place. Crazy. Right. Now, is momentum the right right factor to trade on, you'll have to make that decision. As and an this investor. is where, right. when people were saying over the years, just buy the market. Right. Just buy the market. Right. Get ready. Because that market that you're buying is so heavily focused on that company mm-hmm. that takes you 100 years to get your money back mm-hmm. that you're missing out on a whole bunch of other opportunity. Okay. And I love it when people don't understand value of a company because they buy irrationally they sell irrationally, and that means Boxing Day shopping is coming to Faisal's computer, and I'm going to go and go pick up some great companies at dirt cheap prices. So what does this mean? What, so w- what we're talking about is we know that volatility is likely to increase here because of the fear and uncertainty, okay? So things are moving around. This so is, what, is a, what, is a, what does an average investor do? The average investor, first of all, if they're do-it-yourself, you have to have a structure and discipline for yourself about what you buy and what your sell criteria is. But if you have an advisor, ask them that question. What's their buy criteria and what's their sell criteria? And here's what I hear. Mm-hmm. We just buy good companies with dividends. Right. What? Right. 
in a market like this, a good company with dividend has been run up so high, so expensive, it will take you 30, 40, 50 years to get your money back. Right. Just to get your money back. Forget about growth. And the expectation of that company to do astronomical performance so your earnings are going to come back at a faster rate, what are you expecting? Right. Euphoria. Right. You're expecting everything to go right. Yeah. So, so I think there's a message. And if we again, we want to put this in English. So forget about stocks for a minute. Right? If, if you're out there and you're an investor and we're facing volatility, ups and downs, okay, that the price of that BMW can go up or down on any given day. Correct. Okay? If, the, if, if this was a used vehicle and the seller of that used vehicle needed the money desperately, you might get it at a better price, a slight discount, right, to what the market Based price is. Based on personal circumstance. Right. And if there's, there's none available, you might pay a little bit higher price. Okay? I get that. So there's some reasonable range and demand. Yep. of value, right? Yep. But when you start to go, uh, you know, one, two, three standard deviations about that, you would never pay five hundred thousand dollars for a BMW that Amen. is a hundred thousand dollars. Amen. Yeah, you'll get crushed, and so all you'll lose money. Yes, you're yes. guaranteed to lose money right. if you spend five hundred thousand dollars on a, a two thousand and twenty BMW. You're guaranteed to lose money. Now, if you accept that, right? So as as a human being, if we if we take that and say, yeah, that's that's rational thinking, and we apply it then to the market. When we get periods of volatility, it doesn't mean that you have to be out of the market. Correct. Because cash, we've talked about this lots. So that's a that timing bet is a very difficult bet. What it does mean is you better understand the value of what you own. Correct. Okay. So that you can take advantage of when the price is low. Yep. Okay. Or take profit when that price goes irrationally high. Correct. And if you do that and you've got a longer term horizon, you know, more than four months, what we're talking about now, right? <laughs> I can't speak to you day traders, but but if you've got an 18-year horizon like I might have if I retire at 70, then there, the opportunity there is to trade the relative trade in there and, and take advantage of that. And that's why protecting your income as you draw on it, right. away from all this volatility, right. is the is the kryptonite for everybody who does it differently. Yeah, that's your superpower, right? That's your superpower. Okay. Let's wrap it up. Okay. Uh, another great show, but we got we got to talk about this and put it in perspective. What does that structure look like? Yeah, what is the structure to bulletproof your retirement? What's going to be your superpower through retirement? We're going to talk about that on Tuesday, December 8th, 7 p.m., live online. Go to morethanmoneyradio.com. That's morethanmoneyradio.com to register. Well, listen, thank you very much for tuning in to another edition of More Than Money on 770 CHQR. Faze and I look forward to chatting with you next week. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.